0: So this is week three in our Living by Faith series, and this morning we're going to focus on the question of our motivation as Christians. What is it that motivates us? What does God want to use to motivate us? And so the first question I want us to focus on is simply this, how does God motivate us? In the Bible, how does He motivate us? What does He want to be motivating our battle against sin and our growing in obedience. How does God motivate us? This is a question that I struggle with, especially as I think back during my university years, because I could see how weak my own motivation was. And I could see that others, friends of mine, were struggling in their motivation as well. And I just couldn't figure it out. What's supposed to motivate me? And so one weekend I decided to drive home two hours away to where I grew up and I thought I'd ask my father this question. So I drove home, got there, we ended up going back into his office and I asked him, what's the best way to motivate myself to fight sin and grow in obedience? What's the best way? And my father did not give me the answer. He's a very wise man. He gave me an assignment. He said, Why don't you read through the New Testament and ask the question, how do Jesus and the apostles motivate people? Just read through the New Testament. Just make a list, and then we'll talk. So that's what I did. When I got back up to school, at the end of the weekend, I started working on that every day. I went through the New Testament. I listed every place where Jesus, the apostles, the biblical authors, gave us motivations to obey. And what I saw shocked me. I'd never seen this before. This was new. Because the main way that Jesus and the apostles motivate us is with God's promises. It's promises that are in the Scripture. All through the Bible, promise after promise after promise. Let me give you two examples. In Matthew 6, 3 through 4, here's what Jesus says. Notice how he motivates us. When you give to the needy, do it in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Promise. That's our motivation. Or Paul in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, look at what he says. Let us not grow weary of doing good. Anybody getting weary here in Abu Dhabi? Okay. Let us not grow weary in doing good for in due season. You will reap. You will reap if you do not grow weary. Isn't that powerful? Galatians 6.9. So I ended up with a list of hundreds of promises from the Scriptures that God gives to help us fight against sin and motivate obedience. And this showed me that the main way that God motivates us is with His promises. And that's what we saw a few weeks ago. Remember in 2nd Peter chapter 1 verse 4. Let me just review this verse again. It is so crucial. Look at what Peter writes. 2nd Peter chapter 1 verse 4. God has granted to us his precious and very great promises. Why? So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. God wants to help us escape from the corruption of sin so that we can partake of His nature, which includes experiencing His love, His presence, His glory. And God has given us something to help us do that. His promises. His precious and very great Promises And His promises are found in the Bible. And so He wants us to be studying the Scriptures, learning His promises, understanding His promises, praying over these promises, trusting these promises, because as we do, sin's power will weaken, and our motivation for obedience will grow through trusting God's promises. Let me give you an example. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. This is a promise we quote, a lot around here at Grace Church. God wants to free you from fear. He wants you to be free from all fear. And to free us from fear, He gives us His promises. Notice that there are five promises in this one verse Isaiah 41, verse 10. It starts off with the command Fear not, there's the command, for I am with you. There's one promise. Be not dismayed. Second command, same idea. Don't be afraid, don't be dismayed. Second promise, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So when we're afraid, God does not want us just to try by our own willpower and discipline to try to change our hearts so we stop fearing. No, he's given us his precious and very great promises. He wants us to trust these five promises. Because as we lay hold of these promises, think about these promises, ponder these promises, pray over these promises, and trust these promises, fear will disappear. See how that works? So God's given us his promises, but for some reason, we tend to overlook those promises. We just kind of read right past those promises. Let me give you an illustration, see if you can see that this is what we do. How many of you know that Jesus has called us to love our enemies? You don't need to raise your hand, just think, I know that, okay? How many of you know that Jesus calls us to love our enemies? We all know that. How many of us know that that's hard to do when we struggle to love our enemies? Mm, We know that, right? So we know what he's commanded. We know that it's hard. Now, next question. How many of us know the promise that Jesus has given us to help us obey that command? I would guess that many of us don't know the promise. We know the command, but we've not noticed the promise. Let me read it to you. Luke chapter 6, verse 35. Very simple. But love your enemies, and your reward will be great. That's motivation. So Jesus doesn't just give us commands. He gives us promises which will help us, motivate us, empower us to obey his commands. And the promise here is the reward, the promise of more joy in Jesus' presence forever, because we've Loved our enemies. So it's crucial that we not overlook God's promises. We need to study them, discover them, think about them, pray over them, and trust them. So, our first question we raise this morning is How does God motivate us? And I hope you see now that the main way He motivates us is with His promises, the promises that are in the scriptures. And now, here's an important second question What is the focus of God's promises? What is the reward? The promise. What are these promises all focused to? Because some people, you might think that what he promises us is, well, you know, if you really trust him and really obey him, you're going to live a a trial-free life. I hope you know that that's not what the Bible teaches. That is not what the Bible teaches. That's not what the promises focus on—a trial-free life, or maybe lots of wealth or lots of health. That's not the focus of God's promises. What is the focus of God's promises? One passage that illustrates this is John chapter 14, verse 21. I would encourage you to memorize this powerful verse from Jesus. John 14, 21. Listen to what Jesus says. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And notice, first of all, in that very first line, Jesus here is talking about his commandments, plural. So he's telling us, this is what should motivate your obedience to all my commands, which means he's telling us, this is what should motivate all your obedience. All of his commands is all of our obedience, what it will involve. So what should motivate all our obedience? Did you notice the promises in this verse? Let's read it again. Notice the promises. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me, and here come three promises, will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So the motivation for all of our obedience is the promise of God's love for us, Jesus love for us, Jesus manifesting himself to us. That's the focus that should be at center of all of our obedience. Now, there's a huge danger that we could fall into at this point with this verse. If we take this verse all by itself, we could think that Jesus is saying this, okay, listen to everybody, first, love me and obey me. First, it all starts with you loving me and obeying me, and then, if you do that, my Father and me, we will love you, and I'll manifest myself to you. That is not what Jesus is saying. We know that from many other verses. There's another way this verse could be taken, but first let me show you clearly why that's not what Jesus is saying, look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. You all know this verse. 1 John 4, 19. Why do we love? We love, there it is, because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. It's not that we first love and obey Jesus and that if we do that enough, then he and the Father will love us. It all starts with God the Father and Jesus the Son loving us. While we were still enemies, Paul says in Romans 5, right? While we were enemies, God the Father and Jesus the Son loved us. God sent Jesus to the cross to be punished for the sins of all who would trust him. Because of that, God brought his power upon you and changed your heart and gave you faith and turned you to Christ, poured out forgiveness upon you, poured his love into your heart. Salvation came. Not because of how much you loved and how much you obeyed, but because of God's love, God's mercy, God's grace in Christ loving, saving those who are his enemies. So let's make sure we understand that clearly. And see from that point on then, nothing can change God's love for us. He will care for us in an unchanging way. He will keep us on the road to heaven. When you start to drift, He will convict you and change your heart so you get back on the road again. He will take you, carry you all the way to heaven. He will raise you from the dead. You'll be with Him forever. Salvation all comes, not because we've obeyed, not even because we've loved, but because of what Jesus did on the cross and we trusted Him. That's where salvation comes from. Okay, but now you're thinking, all right, well, what about what Jesus says in John 14, 21? What does that mean? Why does Jesus promise then that if we obey him, God will love us? Jesus will love us, and Jesus will manifest himself to us. It's because here Jesus is not talking about the reality of God's unchanging love for us, which never changes. He's talking about our experience of God's love for us. Our experience, our felt experience of Jesus' love for us. Our experience of Jesus coming and manifesting His very presence to us. See, we've already received salvation, the reality of God's unchanging love for us in Christ. It is ours. It is secured through the cross. It is there. We can rely on it no matter what we're feeling, no matter what's going on. He loves us in Christ but our experience of God's love will grow as we love Him more, as we obey Him more. That's what Jesus is saying. Haven't we all experienced this? Haven't we had times when you've been obeying the Lord? You've been fighting some sin. You've been seeking to reach out, share the gospel. You've been loving people who are hard to love maybe. You're, you're seeking to love and obey Jesus Christ. And when you do that, God will give us times when He pours His love into our hearts in an especially felt and experienced way, when we will receive the the love of Jesus in a way that just fills our hearts, when Jesus Himself, His very presence manifests to us, He will give us times like that when we're walking in obedience. And that joy of God's love, Jesus' love, Jesus manifesting Himself to us, that joy is like no other joy in the universe Sin can't come close to comparing with that joy. That is the joy we've been looking for all our lives, isn't it? You've tasted, you know. That's what we're talking about. So we're asking, what is the focus of God's promises? And John 14, 21 says that the focus of all of our obedience should be the promise of enjoying more of God's love and experiencing more of Jesus' presence. That's the focus of all of our obedience. It's the focus of all of God's promises. When we study God's promises and see that this is the focus of all of God's promises, we will be pursuing this above everything else. Just think, the way that you live this afternoon can increase your experience of the greatest joy in the universe, the joy of knowing God's love in Christ, experiencing His very presence now and forever. That's the focus of God's promises. Now, talk about promises, talk about rewards, can sound a little bit puzzling to some of us and a little bit troubling sometimes because we can think that rewards, well, aren't rewards earned? Aren't rewards deserved by us? Is that what this talk about promises and rewards is about? In other words, here's the question. Does your obedience earn God's rewards, earn rewards from God? Let's think about that. What does the Bible teach? In other words, when you spend time in prayer or or give to the poor, for example, does that earn for you a greater experience of God's love? Or when you love your enemy, as we saw earlier, or battle some area of temptation, just fighting, 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 by. Trusting God's grace when, when you love an enemy or battle temptation, does that earn for you a greater experience of Jesus' presence? The answer is absolutely not. Let's be really clear here. And there's two reasons, at least, why not. Okay, one reason is because obedience is just doing what we're supposed to do. If you think about it, right? I mean, we're all supposed to obey God instantly, perfectly, immediately, without any questions, right? He's God, perfectly trustworthy, overflowing with love and joy and goodness, caring for us. He has proven himself flawlessly throughout history. We have every reason to obey him perfectly all the time. So when we obey him, we're just doing what we're supposed to do. We're not gaining any like extra credit or anything. Look at how Jesus put it in Luke 17.10. This is an amazing statement. So, you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, well, it's not me, but okay, but he's just saying, okay, you also, when you've done all that you were commanded, say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. So do you feel that? Obedience doesn't earn anything because that's just what we're supposed to do. If you obeyed God perfectly for the rest of your life, you wouldn't get anything extra. That's just what you're supposed to do. Think about it like this. If you, if you kept the speed limit all day long tomorrow, all day you keep the speed limit, would the government deposit 100 dirhams in your account tomorrow night? No. That's just what we're supposed to do. Right? That's one reason. Our obedience doesn't earn anything from God. A second reason is because even our best moments of obedience are tinged with sin and impure motives. Even our best moments of obedience. The reason I say that is because of 1 John 1, verse 8. Look at what John writes. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now, in heaven, we will have no sin, sinless, by his power, by his grace. But this side of heaven, there's never a time when we can say we have no sin, because even our best moments are still tinged with pride, impure motives. So not only does our obedience not earn anything extra, in itself, because it's tinged with sin, it deserves only God's Judgment, if you think about it. So our obedience does not earn rewards. It doesn't. And yet, God gives them. He gives rewards to our unworthy, undeserving obedience. Now why? Why does He do that? Because of Jesus Christ. Jesus paid for all the sins of everyone who trusts Him. And because Jesus paid for your sin, this is beautiful, God delights in your undeserving obedience, in your sin-tinged obedience. He delights in it. He's pleased with it. Because all the sin's been paid for, He sees that obedience, delights in it. And not only does He delight in it, He mercifully promises to reward your undeserving obedience with more joy in Jesus now and forever. Because of Jesus, it's not that we earn it, it's all because of Jesus and what He's done. Because of Jesus, God mercifully promises to reward your undeserving obedience with more joy in Jesus now and forever. And so when we obey Jesus and have one of those times where God pours His love into our hearts, we should not think, look what I earned Aren't I amazing? I earned that. Totally wrong. We should fall on our knees. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I don't deserve any of that. Grace, grace, grace purchased through Jesus' death on the cross. We just fall on our faces before him and say, thank you. He gets the glory for the display of his mercy, and we get the mercy and the reward, the undeserved reward for our unworthy Obedience. Okay, so we've asked, does obedience earn anything good from God? And the answer is no. Does obedience earn anything, any rewards from God? The answer is uh, okay, let's do this point all over again, okay? No, no, no. I know you know, but I hope you feel that because I think it's a reason why we are uncomfortable sometimes with promises and with rewards because it's like, well, I know we don't earn anything, but that sure sounds like earning. It is not earning. It is a free, blood-bought, astonishing, shocking gift that God would reward my obedience is unbelievable, And, and yours too. And he's God. He's glorious. We love him. We trust him. So, not earned. I hope we're all clear on that point. Now, next question. How do God's promises motivate us then? He said he gives us his promises. How do they motivate us? And when you start studying God's promises in the Bible, one thing you'll discover is that there's two very different kinds of promises. We're going to talk about both of them, but let's start with this one. One kind of promises show us what we have already received by faith in Jesus Christ. That's one kind of promise. Shows us what we have already received received in Christ. An example is the promise of forgiveness in 1 John chapter 2 verse 12. And the point I want you to understand from this, these kind of promises is it's not that if we obey a certain amount then we get these promises. No, we already have these promises by faith in Jesus Christ. This is part of the salvation package and forgiveness is part of that. Look at 1 John chapter 2 verse 12. I'm writing to you little children Because your sins have been forgiven. Your sins, all of them, have been in the past forgiven for His name's sake, the moment you put your trust in Christ. Now, I'm using the New American Standard Version in quoting this one up on the screen because they follow the Greek more closely in in emphasizing that our sins have been forgiven. And it's very important. So this is a promise we've already received. I hope you know that you've already been forgiven, okay? If you obey more today, you're just as forgiven as you were this morning, right? You've already been completely forgiven through Jesus' death on the cross. That's a promise we've already received. And there's lots of promises like that. The whole salvation package. God's unchanging love for us already received because of what Jesus did on the cross and we're trusting him. God's carrying us all the way to heaven. Nothing's going to stop him taking us all the way to heaven. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, you've received that promise already. God's bringing us back when we wander. Jude chapter 1 verses 24 and 25, he's promised that. You've already received that promise. He will do that. And eternal life in heaven, John three sixteen. All of those you've already received, those are secured for you through what Jesus did on the cross and you're trusting in Him. Those are promises we've already received by faith in Christ. Now, how do those kind of promises motivate us? I want to give you an example. This is an amazing example. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34. How do those kind of promises motivate us? Here's the background to this verse. The church in the book of Hebrews was facing a crisis, Because some of their members had been arrested for being Christians and thrown in prison. And prisons in those days did not provide you with blankets or food. If you were going to stay warm and if you were going to eat, people needed to bring you blankets and food. But here we are, church. Here's us believers. And if we go and take food and blankets to our brothers and sisters in Christ, that would show that we are followers of Jesus and we could risk persecution as well. Do you feel the dilemma? What did they do? Look at Hebrews chapter ten thirty four, and why did they do it? Hebrews ten thirty four. I'll wait till it comes up. It's very important. There it is. Such a powerful scripture. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. So what did they do? It's shocking. They had compassion, took food and blankets to their brothers and sisters, at great risk to themselves. And it's even more shocking that when they were exposed as Christians and had their property plundered, they joyfully accepted that. Joyfully. Where does that come from? Where does this kind of compassion and this kind of joy come from? I want this kind of compassion. I want this kind of joy, don't you? Where does it come from? What motivated their compassion and their joy? Did you catch that? Hebrews 10.34, notice that word since, says it came from trusting God's promise that they already had a better possession. That's heaven, The joy of being with Jesus, ever-increasing joy in heaven forever, better possession, far better than any other joys in the world, and they had an abiding one, an abiding possession. This joy in Jesus will last forever. Hebrews 10.34. Now, notice something very important. It was not their compassion and their joy that got them this promise of joy in Christ forever. Did you catch that? they already had that promise that promise was already theirs and because they had that promise that fueled their compassion and their joy now how does that work how do promises you already have fuel compassion and this kind of joy and this kind of obedience i think it might have gone something like this i think i could just envision one of the brothers in that church praying something like this, maybe with his family, Oh, Father, this could cost me my job, my possessions, my life, but my eternity is guaranteed. Forever, forever, I'm going to have the overflowing joy of knowing Jesus. Oh, Lord, help me to see this. Strengthen me with this. Help me to feel this and believe this. And as he, as they prayed together, they would have tasted fresh love from Jesus. That's what he so often does. Oh, Lord Jesus, you are glorious. You are here. Thank you. And they would have known heaven is waiting. Heaven is real. Heaven is their future. Lord, my eternal destiny, my eternal destiny is joy in you, my Savior, my Redeemer, my friend, forever. And that would free them, that would free you to have compassion on those who are suffering. And it would free you to joyfully accept whatever cost came to you because of it. Why? Because your future, your, your eternity, I mean, just look at eternity, it just goes and goes and goes. Forever you are going to have ever-increasing joy all-satisfying joy forever in Christ. That is your certain and sure destiny, believer. That's massive. Forever you're going to be filled with ever-increasing joy. Let's love. Let's rejoice when trials come for Jesus' sake. He's worth it all. Let's go for broke. I mean, how long is life? It's about this long. And then there's eternity. Do you feel the weight of that? You had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. See if this illustration helps. What if your plundering, the plundering, brought like 100,000 dirhams of loss to you? That hurt. 100,000 dirhams of loss. Oh, man, wow. But now what if somebody reminded you um, you know, I just put 500 billion dirhams into your bank account. There's 500 billion dirhams in your bank account. Don't forget that. Oh. Oh. What would that do to the sense of loss of the 100,000 dirhams? It's nothing. It's nothing. Now, let me be clear the promise of never ending, ever increasing joy in Jesus makes 500 billion dirhams look like a banana peel in the gutter. And that's an understatement. Do you believe that? Make my heart believe, Lord. It's true. It's reality. If we don't believe it, it's because we're wrong. Not because he's not. So we've been asking how God's promises motivate us, and we've seen that one way is by showing us what we've already received in Christ, that rock-solid foundation of our salvation, eternal joy in Christ forever. Let it just free us to take risks, to love for the glory of Christ, for the sake of Christ. There it is. Now, there's another kind of promise that you will read and have studied and probably already know about. These promises show us what we will receive by obedience to Christ, what more we can receive by obedience to Christ. Let me give you an example of that. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 to 26. Moses was born as an Israelite and was adopted by one of Pharaoh's daughters and so grew up with all the wealth and luxury and power of Egypt. So just imagine, I mean, if if you're Moses, power, a mansion on the Nile, Servants at your beck and call, right? Lavish wealth, prestige. That was Moses' life. But then God called him to leave all of that and join his people who were slaves making bricks in the hot Egyptian sun. What did he do? He's got Egypt's wealth and prestige and riches over here, and he's got Making bricks as a slave under the hot Egyptian sun. What did he do? Verse 24. Here's what he did. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ, suffering with Christ, suffering with Christ's people, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Now, why on earth would Moses think that making bricks as a slave under the hot Egyptian sun would be greater wealth than what he had in Egypt? It's because, as verse 26 tells us, he was looking to the reward. He was trusting God's promise that his obedience, his undeserving obedience, would bring him the reward of more joy in God. Moses trusted that the increased joy he would have over here, walking the path of obedience, obeying God, that that increased joy would satisfy him far more than the wealth of Egypt powerful. So put yourself in Moses' shoes here, just for a moment. Think about this. If you really believed, see so here, you got Egypt's wealth over here, and you've got suffering with God's people making bricks. If you really believed that suffering with God's people and making bricks would give you a joy, a joy that's far more lasting, and that's far more satisfying than Egypt's treasure's, If you really thought that this joy in God would satisfy you far more than the wealth over here, what would you do? You'd head for the brick factory. Start walking. Because you know that that's where the prize is. That's where the reward is. I mean, why stay with a a symbol full of joy when you can have an ocean? Right? Let's follow Jesus. Forget the fleeting pleasures of sin. Let's follow. I want the ocean, not just thimblefuls over here. See how that works? Just let this rest on you. The way we live this afternoon can increase our joy, our all-satisfying joy in Jesus in this life and in the life to come. The way we live this afternoon. That makes life of massive importance. We're talking about joy forever increased. That's how the promises that point to us about what we can have as a result of obedience, that's how they motivate us. Okay, we're asking, how do God's promises motivate us? We've seen that there's two kinds of promises. Very important to understand that there's two kinds. Some show us what we've already received by faith in Jesus Christ. It's yours. Heaven is yours. Forgiveness is yours by trusting Christ. And that rock-solid foundation fuels love and joy in suffering. And we've seen promises also that show us what we will receive, what we can receive by obedience to Jesus Christ, which means that the way we live today will impact us, increase our joy forever. Forever. What does this mean for us? I'll just give you one last picture. The Christian life is like a road leading up to heaven. And when God saves us, He gives us a car, which can power, take us all the way up. It's got the power to take us all the way to heaven. And He gives us the fuel for that car, the petrol, the gasoline for that car. And what does that fuel, that petrol, the gasoline promise? It's promises. So, church, I want to call you to learn God's promises. Think about God's promises. Pray over God's promises. Meditate on God's promises and fight to trust God's promises because as you do, your gas tank will always be full and it'll just keep going. But if you neglect God's promises, if you try to obey just by like discipline, willpower, ignoring God's promises, your gas tank is going to be empty. Don't neglect God's promises. God's given us everything that we need, all the fuel we need, His precious and very great promises. So learn them, think about them, study them, memorize them, understand them, and fight to trust them. God's promises. Let's stand together. I want to pray. (laughs) We praise you You've given us your precious and very great promises. Promises describing what we already have through the cross by faith and promises of what we can still receive as we press on in faith and obedience. And I pray that you would, on Grace Church, I pray that you'd pour out love for your promises, trust in your promises, the fuel of your promises, and that our compassion, our joy, our obedience would grow and grow and grow for the glory of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.